above ground yeah. in order to come on and cut up the way that I like to cut up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good today. I had a productive day. I had a real long list of things to hey, do. Hey, he, and we're going to take him. We're going to put him backstage. He ain't been on in a while, so he don't, <laughs> he don't, he don't know what's I'm going out. on. So. I'm out. You got to wait to we'll do it. Finish the warm up, and then we'll sign them in. That's what you're gonna do. Finish the warm up. That's what I'm talking about. Warm up, and we finish. That, hey, that's the energy I be needing. All right, so we got a packed agenda today. Um, and so, but first, we're gonna start off with where where are my band is. All right, so you really not gonna let him in the room? He ain't even ready to be in the room. You ready to be in the room? Send to your, send to yourself, sir. All right. We're good. He's in the room. I wasn't going to let him in there. This is he why I fucked with him, man. He was going to leave you outside. I had <laughs> to ask hey, you. Hey, you got to hold people accountable no matter how, how, you know, how high they get in the Fortune 500 chain, no matter how tenured they are in academia. You got to hold people accountable, man. That's what we need more in this country, more accountability. <laughs> yeah. And so, so first, first and foremost, we're starting off with uh, with Phil Ramos. Phil Ramos is the assemblyman out of Central Islip, New York. That's on Long Island. Uh, if you guys are not familiar with Long Island, Long Island is a predominantly white uh, suburb outside of New York City with pockets of black folks and pockets of brown folks, right? So, like, you may run into some sections that may be, you know, heavily concentrated with black and brown people. But I would say the majority of, of Long Island is uh, Trump-supporting folks. I mean, there's no other real way to describe it. I mean, like, for me, to take it even further, I kind of like... I'm from Louisiana, so I liken the racism that I see on Long Island to racism that you would see in, like, a Mississippi or wow. a Louisiana. Like that? And the only difference I would say is that it's subtle as opposed to being overt. So it's a little bit more dangerous because these are this type of racism can can kind of go into boardrooms and you know change career paths and not allow you to uh, transcend the way that you want to transcend in, in, in corporate America, education, wherever wherever you're going to be. Right. I think I prefer overt over subtle. Because I'd rather know you were my enemy rather than to assume. If that makes sense. Yeah. But so so this guy, I, I put I put the article uh I put the article up in the chat uh with regards to this guy and his anti uh charter school stance, right? Which is a little bit comical. But before we even get into the article, I wanna pull up some data because I got two research uh uh researchers on here. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, you, you guys are uh, all about the data. And so it's kind of small, but I'm going to walk you through it, right? And so 2018, 2019 were the last, was the last year um, for New York State assessments. So New York State assessment, New York State 
assesses students from grades three to eight in ELA and math, right? And we're focusing on, on this region uh, because there's a charter school that just got approved for this particular region, right? And so both of you guys have run schools, so you know what data is supposed to look like for black and brown kids. And so by race, the left side is, uh, is the ELA results. And so ELA, you got uh, black kids in 2018 that were 28% proficient. And then in uh, 2019 were 29% proficient, right? So like, we're talking like one, we're talking like two in, uh, no, I'm sorry, three out of 10, three in 10 uh, kids that can read. Not even read well, just read on grade level, right? And then if you if you pivot over to math, um, you got uh, 24 percent proficient in uh, in in 2018, and in 2019, uh, 24 percent proficient as well. So math is a little bit lower um, than ELA. And so my question to you guys to start this off is, who who you letting your you letting your kid or anybody you love go to go to this kind of school? Uh, no, uh, that's that's crazy data. But it's, I, it's, 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 it's so when you when you come in when you come in when you come in and you have these kind of conversations with regards to like how you're showing up, it's like I'm here because I want to do better for black and brown kids. Yeah. The person that the the person that, that, that that's 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 the, the head of of the um the team that's developing this charter school is a black dude, right? Uh, came from, comes from good stock. I'm going to tell you how good his stock is, right? So he was, uh, started off at like Sasula Walker in the city. Then uh, did some pivoting in uh, some charter schools in Brooklyn um, and then ended up at the Academy Charter School. Academy Charter School is in Hempstead, Long Island and uh, serves, uh, Hempstead serves predominantly uh, black and brown kids. Their proficiency rates in uh, in Hempstead, the public schools, is about between uh, 20, 28 percent proficient. Math and ELA, I'm being generous, could be lower, right? But the charter school that he ran in in Hempstead, those kids, do three through eight, were averaging between sixty percent proficient and eighty percent proficient in both ELA and math. This is the school leader that we're talking about that's coming in to run to run the school uh that 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 they're that they don't want. And to take it even further, my elementary school principal right now, you know who that is? Who? The guy that's taking over the school. I brought him in one year, one year free agent, right? Yeah that because you're trying to win a championship. You're trying to win a championship. You can't be counting on, you know, three years, five years. I know this guy's pedigree. I know this guy, right? Uh, and I needed a systemic change in my school that I knew he could do in one year because he has that level of experience. Hmm. And so you put a guy like that in a district like that, I think those folks are more scared at the results that he's going to get and not necessarily the charter school thing. Because now if he comes in and he gets results – with these kids that have been failing perennially throughout the years, mm. now you got to answer some questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the article, you know, they always are going to feel some kind of way when they see opportunities for black and brown children or any group that's marginalized to do better and improve. So, 
you know, that that's, that's no surprise to me. I think what I got from the article with this whole comparison to charter schools like COVID, it was kind of like a backhanded compliment. He was, it sounded like someone could interpret this to say, just like the vaccine or the COVID, the virus will um, kind of morph into something, mutate into something different because we weren't prepared for it to like get ahead of us. He was saying that these charter schools are like finding a way to open up despite the fact that maybe there's a law legislation that says no more new charter schools. So he was saying it in a way that could be interpreted like, look how swift and how savvy and how strategic they're being. But your point is this, if public schools were successful, then they wouldn't even provide an opportunity for charters to come in the cracks of the door. And so we have to think about the ways that we want schools to be for all of our kids. And I don't know anybody who would, and I think that too, though, there is this like thing we have to demystify, like that charters are taking all the kids or taking all the money or taking all of the good teachers. While in some ways that is true, like I, I'll be lying if I said we did not have students who showed up the first day of school and the day after count day, the new kids that we never saw before show up, right? That's a reality of people's experiences. But it wasn't that they were always young people who were plagued with problems and riddled with IEPs the size of phone books. Some of them were our brightest most interesting parents, most engaged students. We have to understand that our role is to educate all kids and not cherry pick the ones we want and provide the right kind of diverse opportunities for all students, regardless of their zip code. And if we can do that, then we'll be successful. Doc, jump in here. I mean, I think for me, the article, because it started with the NAACP's position on <laughs> charter schools, I was lost by the rest of the article. Like, I'll admit, I was just like, oh, here we go. Like, really? This this what we gonna do? Like, we we're we're going to actually use a flawed argument to articulate a point that you think is articulating justice. And like I I didn't I, I just checked out as soon as I saw that. I ain't gonna lie. Where I was just like, NAACP, and you oppose the charter schools. Oh, okay. Well, well then, what are you for if you're opposed to charter schools? <laughs> and that's what I always ask people. Is like, okay, you're opposed to charter schools. Well, then tell me what you are for. Well, I'm for kids having access to good schools. Okay, but if kids have five schools that they have access to in, in a walking area or whatever area they have, <clears throat> if all five of them only have 28% proficiency, would you send your kid there? This no. isn't about me critiquing the teachers there. It's about the educational system that's failing those kids and failing those teachers. Yeah. Right. And, and so, all across the country. Yeah. Like, so for right. me, anytime someone starts with this like charter school thing, I'm always like, yo, come on. Like, in mass, ain't none of these schools serving black and brown children well. In you mass. Say it. You better say right. It. And so that's the part for me whenever these conversations come up and it starts with, I ain't a fan of charter schools, but dot, dot, dot. You lose me because I I love when Howard Fuller talks about school choice. Mm -hmm. Love it, right? And the way he frames it 
around choice being a part of improving the justice conditions of black folks, mm-hmm. right? And that the ability to create something new, we believe in entrepreneurs in our community, but we don't believe in being entrepreneurs when it comes to our children. Right. Mm. Mm. And so I just, I just checked out when I read the article, like, man, it's <laughs> like, oh, you starting off all wrong for Simmons, like, <laughs> for Simmons, third person. You see what happens when you get when you get when you get a little money in your pocket, you can be third person. <laughs> you know, like you know, be like Diddy. I need to get some Diddy glasses next. Man, man, man. All right. So, you know, I'm glad we were able to discuss this. Uh a very good discussion. Uh uh H you looking amazing. Wanted to point that out. Don't um, come for me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Um so next thing we're talking about is uh, we're going to talk about yay, right? And so, H, I'm going to need you to set this up because I feel like um, I feel like I feel like this is violence. I feel like this is violence against a woman in, 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 in many ways. And so I want, I want you to set it up. Yeah, so it's violent um, and it is harassment and it is not okay.com. And how I feel about him as an artist or her as whatever she is, if you take away all of those things and imagine that this is your cousin who had kids and was married to a guy and they had broken up and he continues to take screenshots of conversations they had and post it, that he shows up to her house on Valentine's Day with a truck full of flowers, that he is strategic about where he lives and where he goes and putting himself in the same places that she is and making comments and engaging the whole public in those conversations, whether or not they were a superstar or whether or not they were a manager at the Popeye's. All of this is violent. It is aggressive. It is harassment. And we keep getting caught up in who they are and not what they are doing. And what he is doing is not okay. I'm not a fan of either one of them. But if that was just a right, no matter who they are, no person deserves to be harassed and threatened and followed and intimidated. He's intimidating her. He's getting other people involved, which is also not okay. He's causing a potential danger to the person that she's dating. Again, I don't know him too. But when you start posting pictures from baby boy of Tyrese getting choked out and say, we're not going to do this to your boyfriend, that's a threat. In a different kind of community, if Pete Davidson was a different kind of person, he wouldn't have text, he wouldn't have put that picture because he knows it would have happened. And we can't continue to just be caught up in the motions and thinking that this is entertainment for us and be engaged and liking and retweeting and posting when at the end of the day, we have what could potentially be a very serious and dangerous problem for her, her family, and their five children. That's not okay. They got five kids? Four, five, eight, ten. They named after locations and different things. I don't know. I don't care if she didn't have any kids. She should be And I'm going to tell you, and if I called one of y'all and told y'all that my ex was harassing me and on the phone and showing up, y'all would have a problem with that. Of course. You wouldn't be okay with that. No, not at all. I would not be okay with that, H. You know that. Right? Hey, hey, I had to Hey, Rob, I didn't tell you the story. I can tell you backstage, bro. I had to threaten to break somebody's jaw today. Bro, we done talked about violence. 
Hey, this might have. Hey, this might have called for it, bro. You can't. Hey, listen, man. Hey, listen. I got triggers, man. I got triggers. And I, hey, and I understand myself. And I'm work. I'm working on myself. My therapist is helping to work on me as well. You know, one shout shout out to shout out to uh to, to black men and, and therapy and and all these other things. Yo, so so all right. So I can't really shoot Yay Nobel because what he's doing, I think, is like borderline psychotic. Uh, in terms of how he's showing up, like he's really showing up badly uh, for black men. Yeah. But what I will say is this, right? I think his trigger was, you know, beyond the breakup because, you know, this is tough for him. Like, you know, you, you got you had a lot of celebrities, a lot of his friends that he lost because they were like, hey, don't do this. This is not going to be good for you. Like, this is not going to be good for this is not going to be good for your mental health. It's not going to be good for your, your stability. Like Kim Kardashian is just not a go for you. Right. But he went ahead, you know, he, he went face forward, right? Lost friends, lost lost everything and whatnot in order to, you know, make that situation work. But I think that what threw him over the edge was um was was more than likely uh his his inability to find the location of his daughter's birthday party that became, you know, everybody's business or whatever. But um I, I'm just imagining if 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 I had to find my daughter's birthday party. Like that mm-hmm. would cause me a great deal of frustration. That would cause me a great deal of frustration. Sure. But, he's but, entitled to be frustrated and he's entitled to have a role in his family's life. But they also aren't talking about like a party at the Chuck E. Cheese, right? They're talking about Uber celebrities with several security guards in secret locations because the paparazzi is always showing up. You're talking about maybe wanting to keep things private and secret so that the children can be surprised. It was two of the kids' birthday parties at the same time. Like there's all kinds of things that that play into that. And we have to, what I want to say before I hear from Doc too, is that we can't also default to the, oh, well, you know, he's got a mental health issue. Because that's the same thing. If we know that, then we need to be proactive about it and get them some help and support and not use it as a crutch. How many black women are beat to depict beat to death because oh such and such he had a problem? That's we know he had an anger issue. That's not okay. The law yeah. and the community is supposed to protect people. And we also kind of like it's weird, right? Because in some ways we gotta like stand up each other's business. And I appreciate that Travis like sent him the the address so he could go and be a part of the of the party and all. But that can get dangerous for other people too. Like you can't just go around doing that kind of stuff and think that that it's okay. And now it doesn't seem like it's about the children. It feels like it's about him being a narcissist, wanting to control her, wanting to be a part of every decision and feeling like he's not going to let her go. If we break up and you keep saying, I'm going to be, we're going to be together. This is my family. Wait, what What are you talking about? We're, we're not together. You have a whole nother girlfriend that you're traveling all over the country with and taking pictures at Fashion Week with. Uh, well, but I can't do what I'm supposed to do. They, they broke up today, by the way. I would have broke up with him too. Are you kidding me? Like, you're like, yo, he, he showed I mean, up like the he showed up like the Tinder swindler. I, I just, I just, I just think that um, Kanye West is is like the people who are apologists remind me of conversations I've had with people about Bill Cosby. Okay, we're gonna make this pivot. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that as black people, we should not be apologists for our heroes and sheroes when they do things like this. Like we are all flawed people. 
And it doesn't mean that Kanye West is a bad person. It just means he has flaws and we need to hold him accountable and call him to account and say like, bro. And some of this falls on his circle of people, like whoever that circle of people he's, he's with is like, what's the level of accountability that they're going to have regardless of who Kim Kardashian is? It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Like she, she deserves to be treated with respect. They made a decision to go their separate ways. So, she made the decision. He didn't make that decision. Yeah. Well, he's trying to intimidate her and, and strong arm her and, and, and instill guilt fear her and others. And that's not right. Yeah, no, it's not. It, 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 listen, listen, I, I, <laughs> when it's over, it's over, right? You know, if she's moved on and she's moved on in a in a way so public to where everybody can see it, when it's over, it's over. Sure. Right? And so he did the you know, same thing to Amber Rose, right? Didn't he bully and harass her and make negative comments about her after they broke up, like all the time? I, I think. Well, I don't mm. know if it was all the time, but it was. It was still. It was. It was enough for it to be problematic, right? So, like, I get your point. So, definitely, your point is not. You know, your your yeah, your point. This is just bad. This is bad thing, and, and it's, it's it's bad for the culture, right? Because like now, you know, you have folks that don't really have any idea of like what we go through as black men, and so your only frame of reference now becomes what Kanye is going through, right? And so then it fits into like all these negative tropes about black men, and like this just doesn't look good. And so, folks, if you're out there and you got uh, you you're adjacent to Kanye, tell him you know therapy. And more than that, reflection, like heavily self-reflect and do the things that you need to do in order to show up better for your kids. Don't do this for nobody else, man. Do it for yourself and do it for your kids. And so if if, I feel like because I feel like if you if you align it with like, I'm going to do this for myself and I'm going to do this for my kids, then you're a little bit more motivated. Right. Because like real talk. Yeah. Your kids are your kids. When you're a narcissist, you think you can do what you want. You think you own the world, that you can go beyond consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can lie on people, that you can twist the truth, that you can make your reality the reality and control the narrative. And that's what he's doing. A lot of the actions remind us, me, of the, for, the former president. Like, you are just twisting and turning and harassing and posting and dominating mm-hmm. the narrative about something that is not okay. It's not okay. But, but, but beyond the former president, you know what else this gives me vibes of? And, and mm-hmm. I don't want to speak this into existence, but it definitely gives me those types of vibes. And Chris, the mother, is familiar with this because she lost her one of her good friends based mm-hmm. off of a man's narcissism, right? With OJ, and so this they're not far removed from from OJ. Like uh, Kim's dad represented him, right? And so they're not far removed from that. And so th- those are things that we need to think about in terms of just like right. you know, I don't want to let you go. I don't want you to be with you're anybody mine. else. That our family. Get out yeah, of here. man, that's that's wild. All right, mm-hmm. let's move on. Ah, all right. So let's talk about this because this gives me joy, sort of. The Super Bowl halftime show, right? And so I know you got something to say about this, Doc. What what's happening, bro? You see, hey, you see, you see, uh, Snoop doing legal things and whatnot, you know, to get ready for the look, show. You see, <laughs> look, listen, y'all already know because we was on text about this joint. First of all. <laughs> First of all, this, this was the best halftime show I'd have ever seen in my life. 
only competition may have been Prince. Yeah, a lot of people saying that. Because of Prince's portfolio of music, right? But the sheer collection of people that Dre brought to this was like me sitting in my Pontiac 6000 with the windows rolled down, riding down, liver noise, watching the people do the races illegally in Detroit, by the way, at three in the morning. And you could just hear the culture, the music, and just like, it just spoke to me from a generational perspective because they also integrated Kendrick Lamar. Right, which is a new iteration of his relationship with all these artists. <coughs> Fitty coming down like Spider Man, you know. Whoa. You gotta really know. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 we're not gonna critique Fitty right now. Hey, we I don't want to wait. I don't. I don't want to wait. Shame. I want to do all these these things that people are doing. But Fitty didn't. Fitty wasn't looking like no spider. <laughs> he was looking like a, a chicken dumpling. Fitty. Fitty. <laughs> Fitty, Fitty living well, okay? Like, I can't knock Fitty. Fitty, you know, he he doing, he doing the best that he can, right? I just want to, I got to give a shout out to Fitty, right? But then, of course, you know, Eminem showed up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was telling somebody the other day, if you want to see one of the ultimate protest songs, listen to the song that Eminem made about the war in Iraq. Right. And it's this track that is reflective of him and his art being both problematic, but also operating as a form of social protest. Right. And so for me, (coughs) I loved it. Uh, My critique would be. Ain't no sister show up other than Mary J. And I mean, I don't know how many how many sisters you wanted. That's all you needed was Mary, bro. I mean, I, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like the songs. Right. I didn't like the songs that that, that she selected. But you know, we'll, we'll go into it. Uh, H, H, what, what, what did you think before I put the screen on you? I, I wanted to just walk people through um, how you showed up for the pregame, your your your, your snack tray. I want you to discuss that. <laughs> I want you to discuss how unurban that was. The snack tray. <laughs> First of all, I made a a delightful charcuterie board. Um, I believe in (laughs) luxurious things. I also am a grazer. I like to snack. I like a lot of, I don't like a lot of things, I like a little taste of a lot of things. And so I made a beautiful charcuterie board. Anybody who knows me knows I'm into flowers and charcuterie boards. I like the finer things. Um, And it was delicious. And then afterwards, we had pizza and wings for the hood. So we did it for the culture. But we did have cheese and grapes and asparagus and some prosciutto and some gouda cheese. It was fantastic. Anyway, I really, re- don't, I, I really, really <laughs> like um, I agree with you, right? I wish that she didn't sing that second song. Um, I would have expected a little more hateration or something that was a little more upbeat. I didn't expect no more drama but as the second song. It kind of made me think, okay, she's going to come back in. But what I appreciated about it was not only the, the amazing music, but the nostalgia of everything. Like I loved um, 
I was like, mommy, they're going to have the cards that's going to go up and down. And then like you could see it or, you know, even 50 being upside down as a like shout out to the video that he had done like that. Or um, uh, they talked about Dre playing the little bit of I Ain't Mad At You on the piano, which was like the right before the Tupac song. So it was, thank you, El Michelle is in the building. Fine, a thing society. Um, but I loved all those little things. I loved the crip walking. I loved the, the the dickies and the pants. And I loved Kendrick Lamar. Oh, it was so black ass. And I loved it. It was my favorite, favorite part. Um, you know, I, I like football. So I enjoyed the game, too. My team wasn't in it. We'll be back next year. Shout out to the Eagles. We, we bleed green. Um, oh. I know you're not talking. I know you're not talking. Either way. I liked it. I wish Mary would have had another song. I do think there could have been more women. Shout out to the choreographer. I believe her name was Fatima. She's a black sister that's always choreographing all kinds of events. So I, I love that part. And I, I enjoyed the show. I'm glad it's over. Ready for the new uh, football season. All right, that's dope. Thanks for sharing. All right, so let me jump in here. I was really disappointed, right? Because when you go down to like all of the protégés of Drake, right? I think of one person that was left out, and that was uh, the game. L.A. is the game, right? And so when I think about L.A. and I think about gangster rap, I think about game, right? Okay. Game's first CD, the documentary, okay. um, you know, that that was, uh, you know, uh, co-produced or, or executive produced by 50 Cent. Uh, that was a dope CD, a dope tribute to L.A. And everything that, that game has done, uh, every record he has always talked about and big up Dre as being his mentor. And so to see uh, Kendrick Lamar out there and not see the person that preceded Kendrick Lamar uh, in that Dre trajectory, uh, the game, I felt like it was more politics than it was like a, a, a tribute to, to, to the people that came up under me. Right. Because you couldn't have, you couldn't, 50 probably wouldn't have done it if game was going to do it, right? And so that's my only feedback for that. I can I can get with that, but if I had to choose a roster of yeah. kits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was the right group. But well, no, no, he could have brought out Ice Cube and did some NWA stuff too. I was waiting for an NWA shout out, but I was like, that might be a little too much. Yeah, they, <laughs> but I was, waiting, I, mean, I was waiting. Yeah, for him, that. And, him and Dre are cool though. Him and Dre are cool. He could have brought out Lil he Easy. Could have brought Cube. I, I could, yeah, I hear you. I he hear could have brought out Lil Easy. He could, you know, he could. It, it, it's other things that he could do. But then also, we got to keep in mind that this is only a fifteen minute show or whatever. This is not like you know. This is it takes it's a lot of planning. It's yeah. not. It takes a lot of planning in order to do it. But this is what I want to jump into. Eminem kneeling. Right. So I feel like because a lot of people didn't catch Eminem kneeling, uh, El Michelle hit me. She was like, uh, she didn't see because that's when Dre was on the piano. Right. So when Dre was on the piano, uh, all the focus was on him and it wasn't on Eminem kneeling because the, because uh, allegedly the NFL told uh, they had looked at everything and whatnot. And they had told Eminem they, they prefer that he not do that. But he did it anyway. Right. And if you saw how many white people was upset at the fact that he kneeled, not doing no anthem. Because it wasn't during the national anthem. He just kneeled, right? And so for all the folks that were talking all that crap, talking about, oh, you know, you don't, you shouldn't kneel during the anthem, this wasn't even during the anthem. So it was, it, was it really about the anthem or was it really about your racism? 
We already know the answer to that. Yeah, but here, that's a good here's, question. here's the other piece, right, <laughs> that I found to be fascinating is Dre also had a lyric that if you didn't know Dre and his music, people missed it. Mm-hmm. He basically said, still not effing with the police. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He didn't, he didn't take that out. <laughs> and I don't think people caught it. Because well, when he I said it, it, I was like, oh, yeah. Dre, Dre messing yeah. around today. Nah, and like Kendrick pretty- Lamar had a moment in his lyrics mm-hmm. uh, where he mentioned this part of, 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 his, of the song about the police, right? And mm-hmm. like, I was like, are people paying attention to the subtlety mm-hmm. of Eminem kneeling, Dre, and Kendrick, and like, mm-hmm. what's actually happening here mm-hmm. for the culture? For the right? culture, baby. And, and, the, like, and that's why we. That's why tonight's episode is for the culture, baby. That that it's part. Only fitting. <laughs> when when Dre did that, I was like, yo, I don't think people heard it because I saw M. Obviously, I'm biased, right? Yeah. You know, Eminem yeah. Is, is the Detroit guy, so yo. I was like, I was excited about that. Yeah, but, but, yeah. But, go ahead. Yeah, and so when I heard Dre, yeah, and uh, Kendrick mm-hmm. do that, I was like, oh. But so, so here's my point. I'm willing to venture, right? And, and it's up for debate. Let's debate it. That that moment, that Super Bowl moment, right, with all three of the things that you just said, has been far greater advocacy than anything Jay Z has done since his partnership with the NFL. And then I know what, what the argument is going to be. Well, if Jay-Z didn't have his partnership with the NFL, then we would have never got this halftime show. I don't know that to be true. Dre's a superstar. And he's adjacent to Jimmy Iovine, who's very powerful, who can get him into very a, a lot of doors. The same doors that Jay-Z could get him into is the same doors that Jimmy Iovine could get him into. And, and basically the same doors that Dre can get himself into because he's also Apple adjacent. Remember that. Right? Yeah. But... Here's what I want to hear. Here's the part that's problematic, though, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a, I hope, is a post cancel culture. And this proves why this is a post cancel culture. Dre has a history of beating on women. Yes, he does. The song. He sure did. Dre has a history of beating on women. Yes, he does. And Dre just took the stage for the Super Bowl. And ain't you ain't hear no you I you, you heard very heard little people protesting. I've heard some people talk about that, but I think also timing and and the location is is is, is also important. I think they probably were concerned that it just felt like a celebration. It felt like people wanted to. There were all the storylines. It's in L.A. It's a Hollywood town. It was a lot of negative mm-hmm. things that happened that whole weekend. That didn't really get a lot of publicity because the thought was like we're gonna keep it positive, we're gonna keep it, we're gonna focus on the halftime show. Really, mm-hmm. unless you are a football fan, you probably weren't like a huge, huge uh, supporter of either team, unless you're from that area. So they needed mm-hmm. to have something to like rally the enthusiasm and the energy around for the for the show. But but you're right, he, you know, we we are all greater than our biggest mistake. Um, but we have to be thoughtful about that. Well and, and next year, when it's in another, lo- if it was in New Orleans, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be that. It would be in New Orleans. I was gonna be there, and I was gonna turn up. Well, it is. Twenty twenty five gonna be in New Orleans. That's a couple really? years down the road. Yeah. Where's, you know, be, where's it next so year? Excited. As soon as it happens, I'm like, oh, where's it gonna be next? I think next year is like Arizona. 
the mm-hmm. year after that is somewhere, and then the next year is um it's in New Orleans. They just need okay. to go to Vegas. It's in Vegas, go, hey. Arizona. That's Let where me it tell is. You something. They can come back that, to Detroit again for the Super Bowl. Hey, that Vegas Super Bowl. It's over. It's there for two two years from now. It's there. Book your ticket now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, I could probably get. That's a good uh. And whatever stays in, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. Oh, understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got stories. Y'all made a promise to the people that they'd be able to watch and log on to watch Abbott Elementary School. So let's get to that next topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. What people? Um, the people on the on who follow us. I made them a promise. Oh, okay. Be able to Did you? Watch All right. L- Lovey Smith. <sighs> Bro. <laughs> <laughs> what did they used to do in, um, what was that thing? What was it? Um, do the right thing? Oh, they all did that. <laughs> we all did. As a child, and Doc would turn his hat backwards. So I'll see I'll, I'll, I'll to Doc. Doc, you got it. Go ahead. Y'all know I'm a football connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like my thing saturday and sunday monday thursday and if they played on tuesday and wednesday i would watch this watch too (laughs) it don't matter right as someone who played in high school played my first year two years at college until i got hurt my son plays football even though don't tell his grandmother because she don't want to play football but anyway um shout out to mom if you're hearing this i'm just playing so anyway I'm going to refrain from Lovey for now because I just think it was a bad hire. You think that Lovey Smith was a bad hire in Texas? There were just better options on the market. I think Lovey Smith is a great football coach. He's just a bad hire. Wait. So you know that man did lose his job after a 10 or 6 year. In Chicago, he ain't never been the same since he left. You do understand that. I do, but I think there are other. There's a new generation of young black football coaches. So yeah, yeah, I think Eric Bieniemy would have been a better choice, and I would have kept Deshaun Watson there uh, for all intents and purposes. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't think Lovey. I, I don't think so. Here's here's how I will categorize this: Lovey Smith wasn't the best choice, but he's still a good choice because he's a good coach. Agreed. Right? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. What makes him a good choice? Is is it is it that he has he, experience? He has he, he has right. experience. He has NFL pedigree. He's right, he he NFL pedigree. Football, right? Relationships with relationships with the players. Okay. Yes, because he, he yeah. used to coach to Illinois, and my friend's stepson went to Illinois. Shout out to little James, and he coached him, and he really enjoyed being there with him. He's he's good for culture, but it, it almost makes me think like when I was looking to become a principal there were some things I thought and some skills I knew that would make me a good fit for a particular kind of school. And I wonder if when you're a black coach and there's so few of you, if you really get to have as many options as other folks, if you have to just take the position that they give to you, like how can we be in a culture where we're talking about how few black and brown coaches there are and then he get offered and then say no. Do we really feel like he had choice and, and a reasonable opportunity to be successful or does it just turn into I got to take what they'll give me because my options are so limited. And, and I know that I can do a good job, that I can build good culture, that, that I'll do a good job because I know who I am. But it does feel like an unnecessary amount of pressure. And just so my numbers are right, 
there were nine vacancies this season, right? And one of them was filled with him, and one of them was filled with the guy that said he wasn't black, he was human. Is that accurate? <laughs> Where's Doc? Doc, what's happening with your camera, man? Can you hear us? So it's about Doc gets it together. So if Mike Tomlinson stays, then that gives you yeah. three coaches, two black, oh. one a uh, human, and one brown with Riviera. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. So she she just made mention of the I'm not black, I'm OJ coach. And I tweeted in Miami. I was on Twitter. I was on well, Twitter. I was my numbers right. You know, I know Ray likes numbers <laughs> and qualitative data, right? So there's 32 teams. There were nine vacancies. One was filled by Lovey, the other was filled by a human. Take Listen. those two plus Ron Rivera and Let Mike me- Thompson. And we got two blacks, two browns, and the rest is the other. Is that accurate for the people? Yeah. Well, the guy in Miami, he's a human. He's not. Yeah. He's not an account. Here's, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. The guy, I can't remember what his name is. He's on first uh, first take, not first take, but uh, he's on the Fox show with Chris Broussard. Um, can't remember his name. But anyway, he made the analogy of if – In the NHL, which is overwhelmingly white, if this same percentage of coaches were black, people would be in an uproar. Oh, yeah. But yet in the NFL, Mm -hmm. we're okay with it. Mm -hmm. Like how, and and that for me is like, okay. And now again, Mm -hmm. my adopted team, other than the Lions, are the Steelers. Where is Mike Tomlin's voice in all this? Oh, Mike, Mike, yo, Mike, Mike, Mike Tomlin is always quiet as a church mouse when it comes down to like real pro-black issues, right? He's probably uh, tired. T- tired of what? He There is a fatigue that comes with being the only one in there all the time. You got to say something. All my life I got to fight. God damn, and, like let him. And he year one, he wasn't saying nothing. Hi, hi, hi. In year one, he didn't say nothing. He wasn't tired. He ain't say nothing. He was quiet. Doc, he, was quiet. He ain't never said nothing that I've ever heard. And no. maybe he has, and I just need to scour the interwebs and figure that out. But no, and don't. I haven't heard. You ain't gonna find it. And I haven't heard Tony, Tony Dungy come out with any strength. No, Tony Dungy him. did. Tony Dungy well, he did. did. Tony okay. Dun- yeah, Tony Dungy recently came That's out and, 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 and spoke. And it's and so that um there was another uh who was the coach? There's another coach that got skipped over a lot. I think Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson said something. Yeah, but Hugh Jackson was like, Oh, they gave me some cheese to lose games. So Hugh Jackson, like, eh, you know, yeah. and I get it, but you know, he, he Yeah, but 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 so but so on on the so I always try to find positive in these things. And so on the positive, we got the SWAC. And so I'm going to be looking at uh, HBCU football uh, all fall. Probably going to hit a couple of those homecomings uh, if, if the world opens back up in a safe manner uh, in order to see some of those uh, big-time games. You got a new head, a new football head football coach at Grambling. You got Dion. You got uh, Eddie George. You got uh, it's a it's a lot of big names out there that um just don't go to the Howard game. Hampton game because no because you already know who's gonna win. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't I don't think I don't think that that game has ever been about football. I don't think that that game has ever been about football. 
like game has never been about – that game is not about football. That game is about prestige. It's like how much money yeah. am I making because and I went to this HBCU. And then, uh-huh. yeah, so, like, that's uh-huh. trash. I don't want to be part of that toxic behavior. I win it every time. We win it every time. gaslighting it. I'm gaslighting it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, when y'all get to – when y- when y'all when y'all get y- when y'all get y'all itch together and y'all learn how to play nice with each other, then that's when we'll come to the Hampton Howard game. Wow. We yeah. should take this on the road. We could do a, a HBCU tour of the South and talk to people and encourage them to be educated. We could fill the black feature pipeline right there. Three of us. Hey, I could hey if you hey write uh, hey, let's write something up. I can get us funding for that. I know people. We could do it. Who wouldn't want to hear us talk? I know people. I can get us funding for that. Let's break this up, man. Let's go. We're gonna do this. Hey, 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 it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be just me and you because you know Mike growing five hundred. Listen, you might leave me. You might be in the Delta Lounge. I'll be sitting outside by myself. I will absolutely be in the. I will absolutely be in the Delta Lounge. Just have my back. Hey, and now, hey, but I'll, I'll bring you out something. You, hey, you a fight. You like the hey. girls and these doodles. Which one you like? Hey, hey, I'm gonna bring you. Hey, I'm gonna make sure I take care of you. You ain't gonna be on that plane hungry. Yeah, please, <laughs> you bring us the leftover crumbs off the crack. Nah, not even, not even. I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay that for hey, H. Not, not, not this guy. But you, I'll pay that forty dollars for you to come roll with me. And we, well, hey, it's open. It's great. It's open bar in the Delta Lounge. Just so for for you folks out there listening right now, they taking shots at me. But it's open bar in the Delta Lounge. Let's get it. Um. But we yeah, don't know not, anything about that because we never get to go in the Delta Lounge. We we travel coach. Hey, hey listen, that's because y'all prioritize wrong. Y'all y'all spend money on the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 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 this this right here, right? So so H, I'm switching you over, putting the screen on you so you can set this up because I got a whole lot of I got I got some I'm gonna gas like this. <laughs> All right, so y'all had it in the Twitter, y'all had it in the chat. What's going on? So from what I understand, Ms. Richardson was uninvited to participate in the race that would have qualified her for the Olympics because apparently she failed a qualifying drug test that showed she had marijuana in her system, despite the fact that where she was, it was legal and she is over the age and she had just experienced a significant loss. That happened and she was went from Nike commercials and, and Yeezy commercials and the front of everybody saying to disappear off face earth. Nobody saw her. She didn't get to go. Our friend from a Slavic country is a skater and has participated in multiple events. I want to say she's 15. She's underage. She's not a very old person. She also has been pitted to win and do all of this great stuff at this particular event at the Winter Olympics. Then she comes out and has a negative. She also failed some kind of test. She claims that the test was an accident. She didn't mean to take it. She has taken her grandfather's blood thinner by accident. But it still is an item, a medicine that is um, uh, forbidden from taking. So she should have not qualified. However, they allowed her to continue to participate to also skate and compete, and said that if she won, the consequences would be she, they, they wouldn't have the medal ceremony. And so Shikari says, this is not about the substance or one sport or Winter Olympics versus summer. This is about me being a Black woman and how the rules are always bent and no grace or turning the other cheek or not 
executing to the full extent of the law happens because of how I hold up state. Because I am black and because I am a woman, they came after me just like they come after all of us and that that's not right. That was a that perfect setup. That, hey, listen. Hey, that was a perfect setup. I really appreciate that, right? Okay. And so, yeah, and so, and so, and so here, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so, uh, her name is uh, Shakara, correct? Shakari? Shakari. Yeah, I call it Shakari, right? Shakari Richardson. All right. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that that would have been a very, I, I think that it's a very, a very eloquent argument. It even makes sense to some degree, right? But here are the subtle differences. The subtle differences are that the 15-year-old that's about to compete already won a goal and is a phenom. Right. The difference between her and Miss Richardson is that although Miss Richardson did not get the opportunity to run in the Olympics, she did get the race post the Olympics with folks that won the gold medal, the silver medal, the bronze medal. Right. Hmm. And based off of how she performed against those people, she ain't ready for Jamaica. And y'all got to scream. Oh, I don't. Yeah. And I don't. And I'll let Doc get the word on this, too, because I know he has a very unique positionality based on the circumstances. But you shouldn't have a rule based on how you think you might perform. If the rule says you can't have a substance in your system and you got a substance in your system, I don't care if you're a phenom or not. If your father is the commissioner, wrong. If you can't, if, if A, if having the substance means you don't qualify, then you can't compete. Then it shouldn't matter the circumstances. Whether I got five goals or no goals, did a little bit, won some. The rules are the rules, and we have to yeah. understand that we can't just pivot and make accommodations to the rules because we're keeping those other things in mind. We talked at the top of the yeah. hour about accountability, and if you did it, I mean, if if you had a rule in your classroom that said if you five minutes late, you you have to give me that five minutes back, you're not gonna be like, oh, well, you know, you did, you know come early yesterday. The rule is the rule for a reason. And you're talking about rules that govern hundreds of thousands of athletes and hundreds of countries in order to say that this is an ethical fair competition. They can't do that. I don't think that's right. See, here's the thing with with it, right? Y'all know my position as someone who supports the legalization of marijuana, someone who grew up in a culture where um, it was normative in my family, right? And my uncle, God rest his soul, John Ali, when he found out he uh, had colon cancer, he actually was cool with it because he's like, oh, well, the doctor said I could smoke weed. That means I could just smoke more today than I did yesterday. I'm like, oh, well, that's one way to, you know, live the rest of your life out. And so I think part of it is that, yes, like, you know, like, they're the rules. However, uh, you know, the rules around marijuana, I think are just problematic in general, right? I think that I don't understand why it's a banned substance. And, and even when Shikari had her moment, I got why she was disqualified. But I also think doing an analysis of why is marijuana considered an illegal substance when it's also considered legal in various jurisdictions across the United States, there's a disconnect. But, yeah. but 
that doesn't excuse what she did because she knew what the rule was. And I think when you're a world-class athlete, you know, your mentality is just very different, right? Like very, very different, right? And I remember playing football with a cat named Ron Rice who played uh, in the NFL. He was my high school teammate. He was built different. Like you knew early on that he was down to go to the pros because when everybody else is packing up and we trying to go sit on the curb and kick it after practice, he was in the weight room. Yeah. And we was like, weight room? Sure. Nah, bro. Like, I'm out. Right? And I was one of them guys like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get by on talent alone. I ain't going to worry about the hustle and the grind of it all. Yeah. And I just think when you're a world-class athlete, you have a different mentality. And I'll admit, I was surprised that she smoked so close to the Olympics because usually world-class athletes can compartmentalize parts of their life. That's why they're world-class athletes. Sure. That's can someone they- remind me what happened with Michael Phelps when he was smoking weed? But he wasn't competing when he got caught smoking weed. Like, okay. that's the I difference. Remember. But okay. yes, you're correct, right? Like, this is where the, the, the perception and how people talk about folks who smoke marijuana, believe in its legalization and make judgments about them has always been problematic, right? But from a rules perspective, Michael Phelps wasn't competing. Like he wasn't getting ready to go to the world championships or the Olympics. Yeah. Unless someone listening knows differently. And I think that's where for me, I have, I, I struggle, but also I think it's about the people she had around her because somebody around her that should have said, listen, we know you're struggling with this, but you've worked your entire life. If you want to honor the memory of someone you cared about who passed away, go win this gold medal and then go blaze your blunt. Sure. But hey, why do we have the same conversation about the Russian skater? She's the one who had the illegal substance in her system. Where, why is it? Well, so we're, it so we're not, not going to tell her to go. But, hey, like we're not going to. But when yeah, it's but about gonna, the record, it comes about a rule that we can break. I don't get it. Yeah, because but we're not gonna go tell her, hey, go go take another blood thinner. Like, we, like that doesn't even like. Especially if she's saying she took it by accident, like that would be inappropriate for us to go and, and refer her to her grandfather's medicine box. I just think that the Russian <laughs> girl is about how we can get around this policy. And when it's hey, listen, girl, listen. It's about what her problem is and how her circle failed her by not holding her up. And that ain't the hey, policy. Hey. Policy is the policy. Hey, None of them. She shouldn't skate. Hey, she hey. shouldn't ran. Hey, hey, listen. Let's say she. Let's say she. She should have ran. Let's say she could have ran. Let's say she did run. I will also say she would have lost. <laughs> no, 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 no. What? No. Yeah. If you were watching that race with Jamaicans, she was getting smoked. (laughs) 
literally and figuratively. No, that's that's <laughs> a rush. All right, so closing thoughts because Abbott Elementary is coming on, and I don't want folks to be upset. Closing thoughts, and I do know that because I she 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 ran the race app she ran a race after the Olympics and got smoked. She, she came in like eighth place. She, she came in like eighth place. And the she, Jamaican women walked by her when she was on camera. Walked by her. Or got, I got it. <laughs> you know, I got <laughs> it somewhere in my camera, in my phone. I got it somewhere in my phone. <laughs> All right, close the thoughts. H, we start with you. Hold up. Let me put the screen on you. Because you've been saying that you've been, you've been hot today. Woo! I haven't been hot today. Shout out to black women who are holding up the whole universe. In, with with hate and thread and and Come love on. and tears and, and grits and gravy. Shout out to black women. That's what my final thought is. We in here. We running everything so that y'all can right. smash like people and break the rules. All right. All right. Doc, what's up, man? Uh, my my final thought is a uh, shout out to those people um, who are struggling with the isolation of, of the pandemic. Um, and I think about my mother who's endured for the last two and a half, three years by herself because she lives at home by herself. And uh, she is finally getting back to her ways and she's making a plan. Hope, our, hope, hope uh, John doesn't hear me say this, but he wants, she wants to come surprise him for his last basketball game of the season on March 4th. Um, so uh, I, I'm just excited that she's, getting out of her shell, but also just like there are other people who don't have the resources and the means to do that. And they're continuing to struggle working from home by themselves. And so I just want to shout out those people who are struggling and encourage folks to get the type of mental health support that you need um, at particular at this moment in time. That's what's up, bro. Appreciate that. <clears throat> for me, I'm going to leave my final thoughts for uh, educators, right? So like if you are an educator, and you are making a decision to leave your school mid-year, um, do right by your students. Give your administration notice. Mm. Let them know that you're leaving. Leave on a good foot so that you are welcome to come back in the space and enjoy your babies when they do something productive or when they do something great, right? Uh, we got folks all around the country that are giving same-day resignations. And, you know, although, you know, I'm, I'm with you in terms of, like, you got to do what's best for you in terms of your mental health, we don't work in an occupation that allows us to not be selfless, right? And so I really want you guys to think about that as you're making these career decisions. Uh, if education is not for you, you shouldn't be in education. Nobody should be able to force you to do that. But if you make the commitment to be with a school for a year, then you need to uh, honor your commitment and do what you need to do for uh, for those kids. And so... With that, we bid you adieu. We'll see you next week. Peace.